and welcome to Polly Pages. Books. <laughs> the podcast where genuine Polly people read the texts that have shaped our community and culture. I'm Claire. And I'm Sebastian. And on this season, we're reading The Ethical Slut, third edition, by Janet Hardy and Dossie Easton. Where are you? I'm on my couch in Boston. Where are you? I'm also on your couch in Boston. Oh, hi. No way. Cool. Um, yes, I've flown in to, to uh, see Sebastian on his birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. And I'm also sick, so I hope this is not going to be too sniffly an episode. Um, but we are here and we are reading chapter 10, Boundaries. What did you think of the chapter? I did not love this chapter. I didn't even really like it that much. Um, <laughs> um, I, it just wasn't a great chapter. Um, I think all the, all the other chapters we've read so far, I've had, we've had things to add on. We've disagreed with some points, but I just read this chapter and, and left it feeling like they didn't really talk that much about boundaries actually, which is such an important topic. Mm-hmm. And I just ended up feeling really confused and I was reading through it trying to find like okay where do we really talk about what are boundaries and what are some examples and how do we make good boundaries and what does that look like and and what are boundaries not and what shouldn't they be and I didn't really get what I expected to from the chapter okay I'm really glad that you said that because I'm so upset with with this as a product of the like the rest of the book as I as you've said you have things to add a lot of my feedback is like I don't I don't really um like I want more of this or I want less of the the assumptions and I want those to be explicated more. This whole chapter was just such a disappointment to me and it was so confusingly structured. It was very very strangely structured. Yeah, it doesn't it didn't have the same sort of flow that we we've had in the previous chapters. Yeah. That, so that... essentially this is the this is having read this chapter like a million times to try and get this structure under my belt. I think there are three topics that they're talking about, or two and a half topics they're talking about when they're talking about boundaries. The boundaries and and the individual, and boundaries within a relationship. But um, to get there, they they have like six different sub-settings, which are all in different orders for what I would expect. Like they start talking about what boundaries are, they then talk about how, how you can own those choices, then they start talking about relationship boundaries, then they start talking about uh, basically examples of the relationship boundaries going wrong in dumping and projection. And then they go back to relationship boundaries, but this time they call them role boundaries. So it's like really all over the shop. And, and even in the boundaries, they start talking about like doing this and not doing this in terms of practices. And it was just like very, very confusing. Well, and even in the, in the second stage, so they, they start with what are boundaries and that was really short. And Which then, is like the fundamental right, question you that, expect from a that, that about be, boundaries. It was very short. I didn't feel like it defined it well. And then in owning your choices, it isn't even so much about boundaries. Owning your choices and boundaries specifically. It's sort of broadly owning your feelings and owning your emotions and keeping them separate of other people. Mm. Which is stuff that we've talked about before and is hugely important. Yeah. But didn't... I don't think it was the discussion or the, the information that we needed to have at this point when we're talking about boundaries. At least not without some more diving into what that means in terms of having your own boundaries. Yeah, and then, of course, they start talking about relationship boundaries, um, which is 
confusing considering we haven't already established like in that very short section about what boundaries are I didn't come I didn't come out with a strong enough idea of of what what they meant so then to then throw another person or multiple people into it it was just very again confusing and then they start with these two other sections which they entitled dumping and projection which seem to be um basically I don't want to say red flags, but like bad relational practices. Maybe examples of what it can look like or things that can happen if you don't have strong, no. clear boundaries. No, you don't it's, not, it's not about boundaries. Like both of these, the word boundaries isn't even in these subsections. Like I'm looking at right now, the word boundaries isn't in those two subsections. This isn't about when a boundary is being tested or pushed. This is about... Um, like those two sections are about when someone is like improperly handling their own emotions, which is a bit different. Obviously, you need to be able to handle your emotions um, within a relationship, but boundary is not that. I guess that's where we should start. Right, let's go back to what are boundaries and let's, let's do this work for them. In the book, they say you can never own another person. And the boundary is the point at which you understand where you end as an individual and another person begins. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that basically sums up this, this section for them? Yeah. Right, okay. And I agree with that statement. I don't, because I was reading this, boundaries as how you understand where you end and another person begins, and I just thought that's such a Western concept of individualism that they're just going to just uh, sort of swindle in here. Um, if, you're, if you're ever... Um, you know, in a non-individualistic centered culture, then that boundary doesn't look the same or isn't even conceptualized the same. Um, you know, the, the boundaries that are, I guess more important are about where, where the line of your family ends or your tribe or your extended family, uh, where the household ends. Like those, those become better, uh, better tools for conceiving of like the person that you are. And that then is where the bound, the important boundaries lie in your life. So for them to just sort of be like a, a quite American-centered, which I'm, I'm not surprised at this point, they're American authors living in America, dating other Americans, but um, I do want to sort of point out, I won't go into it any further, but I will say I, I thought that was sort of sh- chaperoned in without an acknowledgement that not everyone you date in a multicultural world is going to conceive of those boundaries in, in that way. Um, what we, what, okay, if I come to you and I say, what are your boundaries? How, how do you, like, what, what do you think a boundary is? Or give me some examples. I know it's easier for it with yeah. examples. I mean, I think for me, boundaries are really, um, they're on yourself. So they're how you define your individual needs. I, I think a lot of times people think of boundaries as something you put on somebody else. So like I'm, I'm putting this boundary on you about how you should behave or how what I want you to do. Right. Whereas it, in my mind, like a boundary is for me is like something like what are the things that I want or what are the things that I'm not okay with for me? That one. I think it's about the, the, the concept that they're trying to talk about here, which I, again, I don't think they do a good enough job. That, for example, they give no examples. Mm-hmm. But basically, these are the deal breakers. These are things that going into a relationship are like, if, if this was to happen, or if, or if this is the, the function of the relationship for you, I don't want to be in a relationship with you. Right? So, for example, uh, my boundary is I don't share phone answers. 
I also don't want to have children. Those are boundaries for myself. Those are essentially, and they're even based on maybe on like a core value or something, but they're a way of, of knowing yourself and then being able to communicate that when you start dating somebody, when you kind of meet them and be like, well, this is, this is the boundary of, of what this will look like. Right. And this is not a, a negotiation. Right. These are deal breakers. If, so another one that's quite common, I think, is if you cheat on someone else. So if, if you're in a monogamous setting, obviously, um, the script is clear. If you sleep with anybody else, that is a deal breaker. It's a boundary. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to be in a relationship with you if you cross that boundary. But there are, there are rules that you make for yourself. No, I want to stay clear as well rules because I think that's an important distinction to make. They are a boundary of yourself, as you've said. They're the, I think I heard on, on one podcast, they're like the hamster wheel. Yeah. They're the hamster wheel of your life. Yeah. So you can run, run around your hamster wheel. Um, so I guess, again, do you, do you have any boundaries or examples? Because I, they didn't give any in this book and I was like, that would have been very helpful. Yeah, um... I think a lot of some boundaries that come up and there's a difference. I think cheating and things around cheating are still can end up being people can have personal boundaries about it, even in a polyamorous setting because cheating can still happen. It just looks different than the monogamous yeah. defined way. Well, um, the common one there that I think I hear a lot is, um, is about, for example, I don't want to have sex with unprotected sex with someone who's having unprotected sex with somebody else. It's a super, super common one. Right. right again though that's a boundary because what you're doing is you're saying this applies to me and i control it in my own actions right if you were in if, if that's your boundary and you're with somebody who then like well I, i'm having unprotected sex the the action is still within your control because then you just have don't have unprotected sex with that person you only have um unprotected sex with people who's who are having protests with everyone else. This is, I don't really like the term fluid bonding because I feel like it, it kind of like, uh, it kind of gives a hierarchy to some fluids. So we share loads of fluids. Like. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the concept that I guess is the equivalent yeah. of cheating and polyamory. But again, that's different from a rule, which is when you would say to somebody, well, you can't do something. I think, and, and, and it's, I think the important thing you said is it's something on yourself and you're in, you're in control of that situation. So another one for me, for example, is um, like I wouldn't, for example, date somebody at work because I think that that gets messy. So I won't date people at work. I don't have work relationships. That's, that's quite a good one. To, uh, that's a good example of a boundary because right. it's about you. Right. It's your activity. Right. It's not then saying I can't date someone at my work or your work or something else. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you can have boundaries maybe about things that you're, some of them, the easiest ones to think of are usually about like sexual things and intimate things. Um, but even sharing space, like I have certain, like I don't love, I like having my own space. Um, and so that's something that we have to revisit maybe, or like that can change over time. I think that's the other thing is like boundaries can change over time as you grow and change, but, um. I mean, I, I think a good, a good thing to point out, again, not mentioned in the book, guys, we're off, to, we're off paper now, mm-hmm. right? A good thing to sort of say is that you might have boundaries you don't even know about yet. Mm-hmm. 
like for example you might have a boundary where it's like you don't want people to uh, have access to email or have a key to your place have certain have a certain level of access and you don't realize that's a boundary until somebody has that and and then you're like oh actually i feel a bit uncomfortable oh i've discovered a new boundary um and it might also change. So let's say that you didn't you didn't have a, a boundary about it before, but then unfortunately you end up in an abusive situation or maybe even a dangerous situation. And then after that in your subsequent relationships, that is now a boundary. But the, the crucial thing with all of these examples is they're about you, they're about your behaviour. And if they are violated, if you're in a position where that boundary has been broken, you then make a, a relationship decision. You then decide yourself as an individual, whether or not to leave that relationship. And that's why I think the term deal breaker is quite helpful. Yeah, I agree. So I feel like that's a better way of explaining what a boundary is than, than just the understanding of where I end and you begin, which seems a little bit abstract. Right. right. So then the question is, um, for me, the natural next question would be, how do you make those boundaries? Like, how do you find them? I mean, I, I think the first thing is some, you know, some boundaries that, that you have right there. Yeah. There are certain things that you don't want to do, whether those are sharing finances, sharing a living space, some things that are just core to you that you've known for a long time. Yeah. Um, you might then, as I said, bump into right. Some things might be like, some things through, might change. Yeah. You might realize you might, something might happen with a partner, even if it's not a bad thing and you might realize, oh no, like this is, this happened and I, I really don't like this and this is a boundary for me. Um. So I think that once you have started to figure out what your boundaries are, whether you know them or you're discovering them, the next part of this is what do you do with them? And it's both about being true to yourself. So if you have a boundary, holding to it and not getting, you know, not putting yourself in a situation where that's, where you, that's already definitely going to be violated because um, that's, dishonest to yourself and it's dishonest to somebody else that you're with so for example if you know we're going to use your example but you don't want to have kids and you you know that 100 percent. so if you were to meet somebody who was very adamantly wanted to have kids you need to own your boundary for yourself and also for them in, in being honest and saying okay like this is where i'm at is this a deal breaker mm-hmm. you know having kids is a deal breaker for me like, that's not something that I'm ever going to want to do. Or, you know, and vice versa. Yeah. And the question is, I guess, practically, when do you do that? Like, if you're, if you're newly in the poly scene, you don't really want to be coming in there being like, I know my boundaries, and they're hard, and I know what they are. Yeah. <laughs> you, it can be a bit of an intimidating discussion. I personally am always, like, super upfront about it. But, um, yeah, the, the practice the pragmatics of like how you state those boundaries not touched on at all in this chapter unfortunately but i think that's that's a discussion that i would probably bring up around sort of like the third date maybe like the fourth fifth time you hang out you should by then have a pretty good idea of like what some of the bound like how they feel about some of your your boundaries um and obviously the the first one you're probably going to have to broach if you're being polyamorous is that you're polyamorous. <laughs> I have a boundary about being monogamous. Right, like, I don't want to be in a monogamous relationship. That's, like, if, if that's it, then that, that's that's a deal breaker. I'm yeah. out. Like, you can go and be monogamous with somebody else. Absolutely great for you. I'm not the right person for you, clearly. And that's 
absolutely fine. They they talk a little bit, I guess, about like owning your choices, but it doesn't seem to be in relationship to boundaries. It seems mm. to be in more like emotions about the feelings, which are important tools for, to figuring out your boundaries. But then you need to you need to be able to have that conversation with someone, and that means you need to be okay with rejection. If somebody says, "Well, that that boundary for me is like," but overlaps with the bound like with something that I I have a boundary about. So, for example, I will not be with a monog- I will not be in a monogamous relationship, and the other person says, "Well, I need to be with someone who is being in a monogamous relationship with me, and only me." Yeah. <laughs> then, obviously, you need to have that discussion, and I mean, just do it earlier rather than later. It just gets. Yeah. I mean, the longer you let it go, the more complicated and messy and unpleasant it gets, and and you you don't nobody benefits from that because yeah. if. Especially if if you know, like if, if something has come up and you're not owning your choice, if you're not being honest about your boundaries and you can already see a problem, what is that accomplishing for anybody? I think it's slightly different though because one, so step one is you, you can come out of the gate ready to state your boundaries and be okay with the fact that they might not be for everybody. Step two is you start seeing red flags about your boundaries. Have you stated them correct? Have you, have you stated them clearly and consistently? Are they continually um, operating outside of, uh, like, in, in a way that's asking you to break your boundaries? I mean, I'd say leave, but um, I think that, <laughs> that there's probably obviously more to unpack there. <laughs> but, but that would be very concerning to have. A, you've stated your boundary and somebody is continually asking you to break your boundaries. I guess, I guess we, we could actually move, uh, we're going to skip one of the chapters, uh, one of the sec- subsections in this chapter, but they do talk about relationship boundaries here. So let's, let's look at what Dossie, um, Dossie Easton, am I saying it right? Yeah, ten, 10 episodes in. 10 hours and I can finally say it. Right, so what, what did you glean from this half page about relationship boundaries? Oh, I'm well, so the, annoyed. The, how, is, how do you sum up relationship boundaries? I mean, I mean, for me, relationships don't, have boundaries. boundaries like yeah people have boundaries people have boundaries i would say relationships have rules or agreements or expectations right that are that are between the people involved based on each person's boundaries and how those overlap right so they they use the term agreements here and they talk about agreements made with respect to other people's feelings constitute the boundaries of their relationships and i was like what that's so confusing just yeah. use a different term so the example that they use so for the the, the example they use there is you figure out your limits with your partners before you go to the sex party. Right. I would say that's not a boundary. I would not use the term boundary for that. Let's say that you have a, a boundary. You don't do anal sex. Right? You don't like it. Maybe there's a trauma or maybe there's like a long, like just don't enjoy it. Like for whatever reason, you, you know that that is a boundary for you. And you're going to go to a sex party and that, that is a, a situation that's coming up. You're going to go with uh, one or more partners. You have stated your boundary, so they're aware. But you're obviously going into another space. Do you have an agreement in place? Do you have an agreement that they, for example, love to have anal play, but they're going to do it obviously with other people? Maybe maybe you have an agreement they can only do it with people of the same gender. That's a quite a common agreement some people have. Right, that's an agreement. <laughs> it's not a boundary. Your boundary is you. I Like, your boundary is me saying, I'm not going to have anal sex because that is my hard boundary at this party. The agreement we made off the back of that. The beginning of a discussion is a boundary. Oh, it's very frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And because also, I mean, agreements and relationships change and evolve and they can be situational. Mm-hmm. And they adapt, I think, much more 
than individual boundaries. Okay, so they, the next two sections after their relationship boundaries um, I want to come back to because I don't feel like they fit well. But role boundaries they start talking about, um, which are basically seem to be saying that different relationships have different boundaries, different limits and different potentials, which I cannot disagree with for... Not disagree with more. Um, well, I think what, what I think what they're saying, sort of in in the previous section that we were talking about relationship boundaries, and then in this one, role boundaries, is about. So as we've talked about, boundaries are on an individual, and sort of these ones are talking about like each relationship unit as a almost as an individual and as a single piece. Which again, I I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't think it's the right way to think about it because a relationship is two or more people with their own boundaries and their own identities mm. agreeing to stuff. And kind of what I feel like they're saying here is like, say our relationship, like we have boundaries that define our relationship and what is, no, we don't, but that's what I think they're trying to say is like in a relationship, I'm just using yeah, us. As no, a, I know. I just disagree with them. Um, <laughs> I thought you might. Um, and that's probably why, you know, and, and I think that's a pretty common way that people think about things is that as the relationship is a single unit and you define the whole relationship in certain ways. Um, so, Basically, I think that that this section is talking about when you have multiple relationships, there's a chance for you to test out different um, versions of yourself. I think that's what they say in here. Um, so I think maybe a good example for this would be that um, you're, you're in a relationship with somebody who's a male and you're in a relationship with someone who's a female. And um, the way that you, know, you experience that relationship informed by, I don't know, a standard heteronormative patriarchy is going to allow you to maybe have different versions of yourself at play, right? And we, we've spoken about that before, back in our episode about other sexual subcultures and, and how we can bring elements of, of, um, of ourselves out in, ways, in different ways in those subcultures, right? But what I'm saying is that the, the person that it, that's having these two relationships, they're still the same boundaries. I don't... I don't really um, think about me as being particularly different. In may, but maybe that's because I'm quite seasoned in this now. Maybe when you start out, that is part of the, the uh, appeal. It's like you can try out different versions of yourself, like between different, like let's say this person's slightly older, this person's still at college, like this person has a kid and this person is like a woman and this person's a man and I can like try all these different hats. It's so fun. But I still think that the person you are, the boundaries that you have, do you want to have kids or not? Will you share finances? Are you happy for someone to have a key to your place? Are you happy to have unprotected sex with someone who's having unprotected sex with someone else? Those questions don't change. So that's why th- this was a confusing section for me. Maybe it's because I just personally don't feel that. But... Also, maybe it's because the language, again, they're using is a little bit vague. Yeah, it's just not very clearly defined. And I feel like from what they were trying to say and the way that I was trying to interpret it to make sense of it, Hmm. I agreed with. Uh, And it goes along with what you're saying. There's a line in here that I quite liked. Um, When two people meet, they relate where they intersect, where they have complementary roles and similar scripts, which I really like that line. And I think with boundaries, we have our own boundaries about what we're... You know, what our hard limits are, what, what we're okay with, what we're not okay with, what we want. Let's not bring hard limits into it because it's a whole other thing. That's true. That's a very separate type of thing. God, but, we have so many words. Uh, but in, a, in the polyamorous context, the nice thing is 
say I have a limit. Um, I don't want to live with people. Right? I, I want to live on my own in my own apartment. I never want to share a permanent space with somebody. I can date multiple people and I might date somebody that wants to share a space, share space with somebody. If they were only dating me, that would, that boundary would be a deal breaker. But instead in the polyamorous context, like I thought of it almost like in the polyamorous context, you're like a puzzle piece and you can find different puzzle pieces that fit around you That's so cute. in different ways because of that. Whereas in a monogamous culture, like lock and key, like you have to fit together on all of these different things for it to work. Whereas in this, you have the opportunity to explore different parts of yourself or work within, you know, make different relationships work within the constraints of your boundaries understand what you're saying i think i can agree with that i also think that just a thought is that obviously there will be some boundaries that just like don't really come up in one type of relationship and don't do another so in my example of like someone who's dating like let's say someone has a kid and someone who um someone who doesn't you might discover within yourself child related boundaries so let's say things like i don't want to ever be um the sole person that's like physically responsible for that child right so obviously with that in that relationship that then emerges as as something and you have that discussion with your with your partner and then you know they'll say well that's fine there's always my mum around or my other partner or, or me um whereas the partner that doesn't have a kid that boundary is never going to come up because the person doesn't have a kid <laughs> and i think it's especially when we start talking about boundaries in non-romantic settings because we all have boundaries you should have boundaries at work, boundaries with your partner, boundaries with your friends, boundaries with your family. You should be having boundaries in all elements of your life to kind of protect you and your time and your energy. Um, but those won't necessarily come up uh, in the same way in a romantic setting. You know, <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not probably, probably not going to email um, a loving partner and be like, uh, as, as per my last email, I'm actually out of the office <laughs> until the next weekend. I'm available at this time. <laughs> Whereas in my, in my work boundaries, that's my way of reinforcing work boundary of like, this is how I protect my time. And I do think, um, that's a really important challenge. I think that we, as I've, we've mentioned before, like we have all these different types of relationships that we know how to balance and we do have boundaries in all of them. And I think in a lot of those senses, because there, there's more cultural scripting and there's more, it, it's a lot, it's not always as intentional or as, inten- as intentional in a different way. Whereas, as we said in the beginning, um, and the way they lead off the chapter, in, the, in a polyamorous context, you have, to, you have to be much more intentional about your boundaries, especially in the romantic context. Um, and you have to be more discerning and more conscious of them and in sharing them. Um, because you do have more contact points for these things, whereas most people's normal scripts about this uh, that you've grown up with, that you've learned about, are in, in a very in a very narrow range of monogamous type heteronormative relationships. So that's what people learn about as those default boundaries. Mm. And in the workplace, at school, out in public, we we learn all those things through context, and those all apply. But as you're if you're practicing any different any non-normative, I don't want to say different, it sounds bad, but a non-normative sort of culturally standard relationship practice, whether that's a queer relationship or a polyamorous or a triad or, um, you, we, we have to re think those would be much more intentional in how we 
work those out and we have to be but I mean having said that it's not like monogamous people have just like fundamentally different boundaries they just have one fundamentally different boundary like okay here's here's a boundary that I'm pretty sure most people have um and is also a good segue into BDSM my favorite segue (laughs) um (laughs) most people have a boundary like if you um hurt me physically without consent it's a deal breaker and that is a boundary that you have um whether you are in a monogamous relationship, polyamorous relationship, but also while you're at work with your parents, uh, with, you know, a random straight, like it's, it's a boundary that you hold across all of these different relationships, right? Yeah. So I'm using that as, an ex- as a way of like explaining that monogamous people, yes, there, there are more uh, sort of like, there's more of a given about what those boundaries might be, but I don't think it's so different. I think that mo- like a lot of these boundaries are about protecting you as a person, not about protecting society's idea about like a normative relational choice. Mm. Having said that, let's talk about BDSM. Our because, favorite topic. <laughs> because right at the very beginning of this chapter, they say you can never own somebody and you need to have your personal boundaries. And quite a lot of blogs, I'll link at least one, talk about how BDSM works with, you know, when you're playing with power exchange and ownership. Um, and I think just to say that, well, from my experience, people that are doing that have a, like a lot better grasp of how to have these conversations about personal boundaries and similar to our chapter on consent, you know, people that, people that are practicing, um, with play, um, that changes people's boundaries, like on a, on a temporary basis, usually, um, it's, it's they're, they're very they're, they're very good <laughs> they're just very well practiced at having a lot of discussions about what, where those boundaries lies and the nuances of those boundaries and um yes i rambled off no i think that's a, a really really important point um and i think that though i mean some of the the benefit of those types of relationships in those situations is getting to play with those dynamics and break out of them in, in such a safe and in, in what is or should be a safe and controlled way where you know that you're pushing boundaries but because in the ideal sense you, you're able to talk about them properly and understand them and be aware of them and be very open and deliberate you're able to explore where your boundaries are by pushing right up to them and I agree with you I think that the people who do that and do that well and practice these types of relationships and power exchanges or ownership type relationships or anything like that have a much generally have a much better grasp on their own boundaries and and acknowledging other people's boundaries and respecting other people's boundaries but i don't i don't have a lot of experience with it personally so i don't have and, and much else to add but i i think you're probably right okay so to, to pick this book back up again uh, as we've gone so far off page because this was so confusing to read. There are two subsections that they have in here which are in the middle of all of this chat, which is about what they call dumping and projection. So dumping is when you basically just uh, dump all of your garbage emotions on somebody with an understanding that they'll do something, right? Um, to kind of like fix it. And projection is when you use another person to just like assume about them, 
and to like make them into like an ideal thing that you want. Now I'm not really clear why this is in this part of the chapter. Yeah. I'm not I'm not clear why this is in the chapter. What what did you think to these sections? Because they take up a, a pretty hefty. They take up of a full chapter. page out of the five that we got right. on this whole topic, which was not enough to begin with. And I agree with you. I, I think they're very important topics. Or they're important things to think about and be conscious of and not to do. But I don't think they're specifically to do with boundaries. They're examples of, you know, they're things you could use to talk about as examples of how to uh, not even not even enforce boundaries, though. It's more about, like, enforcing your own okay. emotional we'll just say health. They, they don't even mention boundaries in these two subsections. <laughs> not at all. The word boundary is not Hold found. On. Yep, not once. Um, so... They, they, I think they're using this as like examples of when boundaries are poorly communicated. That's what I think they're trying to do. It's not made clear. Um, so when you are when you are expressing your boundary, this is not a negotiation. Right, you are saying what you are like what the deal breakers of your relationship are. When you then ask somebody to do something in a way that will honor the boundary that you have laid out. Um, essentially, then that is that that is when um, that person might feel like you're just dumping a lot of emotions on them because you're trying to maybe like over-explain your your uh, emotional profile that's led to boundary. Uh, so, example time. Let's say that you have a boundary about having a key to the house, right? Again, this is not from the chapter. But let's say you have a boundary. I don't like people having a key to the house. I need to be able to physically lock my space. And then you start explaining the process that you've gone through in order to get to that place, to have that discussion in this relationship. Um, and maybe part of that is actually quite kind of uh, scary or traumatic. Maybe there, maybe you you were house burgled while you're out one day, and you have. So, and then you start getting into your deep trust issues and how, you know, physical space has got to be a certain... You, you, you go into it, you rabbit hole. But the person on the receiving end of that uh, kind of just feels like you're just dumping all of it onto them because they feel like they have to do something. They feel like they have to take all of this emotional weight, this emotional baggage, and do something with it. But in actual fact, you're not. Because all you're doing is stating a boundary and explaining where the boundary has come from. They, you, the person you're talking to does is not required to do anything. They just have to sit there, listen, and hopefully it helps them to understand. And then they can go away and they can think and they can make their emotional decision. Yeah. But that's, I think, what they're explaining. That, that's me trying to link what they're saying about dumping to the chapter on boundaries. Do you think you do a good job? I think you did a good job. Yeah. I think you did a better job than them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the only other... So I, I agree with everything you just said as, as a better interpretation. The, the things that popped on, I don't. I just didn't really like it. Like, the examples they use, there's nothing great about it. Because what I thought about dumping, like, to me, when I thought about that, what I thought about is more venting. Like, using somebody to just soak up your emotional... Like, like, oh, I wrote that. I wrote yeah, venting. I wrote, wrote dump versus vent, but I think of them as different. I mean, that's the that's the thing that... Right, so I, I use the term vent, I, and I'll often say to someone when they're kind of a bit emotional, and they're in a heightened emotional state, I'll usually say to them, do you want advice, or do you just need to vent? Right? right? And that person can be like, no, I just need to vent. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, go, cool. If I don't ask them that, and they don't state that, then they're dumping it on me. 
because they're, I'm unsure as to what, what they want out of that. So I think of venting as being very healthy. If you need a vent after your long day at work and you come home and you say to me, do you have the emotional bandwidth to just let me vent to you right now? And I say, yeah. And then you just let it go. That's fine. You come home and just start being super stressed and like moving or put some hands around and everything. That's dumping emotion onto me. It's a bit more passive aggressive. There's no actual discussion. Passive aggressive on the side of this. And on the other side, I wrote venting and the question, can I vent? Um, Oh my God, we're so in sync. That's the sound of us high-fiving. Okay, so let's just leave that one and move on to projection. Because so projection, uh, what? Okay, how how would you draw what they've said about projection here back to boundaries? Projection is 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 sort of painting the picture of somebody in your mind. So not the person who's actually in front of you, but what the 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 story you're telling yourself in your mind about what that person is thinking or doing or acting, um, and instead of just discussing something with them it's usually linked to your personal fears or, or anxieties and you project those onto the person and are almost looking for problems or looking to place blame. And that's, that's definitely not a good thing. And you should work on that and the emotional awareness to own your own feelings and to, to have open communication. So you don't do that, but this doesn't really talk about how that in any way has to do with boundaries. And for me, what I, where I think this, this could overlap as much as it can is that is doing that and letting it come out of control and projecting actions or beliefs onto people in such a way that you start to believe that they are breaking a boundary through your own story that you're telling. So that might be something like um, you and your partner have a boundary about how you use protection and then you're starting to re- feel and how you use protection with other people and you're starting to feel insecure because they're on a date with somebody and something happened and you start to project, well, they're going to do this and they're going to break, you know, they're going to do this, which breaks my boundary or it's going to violate that and and impact me. And the point to come back to is even if that were the case, even if you had an, you know, your boundary is you only have unprotected sex with certain people. Even if your partner did have unprotected sex with somebody else and in that way would impact you, you still have your boundary that you can hold to. And in the meantime, projecting that they might do that or that there's something behind that and letting those insecurities run rampant hasn't impacted anything. And that's as close as I can get to okay. bringing projecting I have to a, boundaries. I have an, another option of like how this needs. Okay. Which they don't say in the book again. We're off script. We're here, very right? off script. We're, we're, we're all well, over the place. What I'm imagining is when... When you project, what they're talking about here is, as you said, you're, you're projecting your kind of thoughts, fears, and, and feelings onto somebody else, right? What if you also projected your boundaries? I think this is basically saying, like, because I hold a boundary like this, I'm just going to assume this other person does. And it's, it's almost not having that discussion that we talked about earlier. It's not, it's not having, um, having that kind of honest discussion. Or it's like having it but but not really hearing what this person's saying about a boundary and then inevitably you're you're just so for example um i as i said i don't want to be in a relationship with a child of my own right i don't want to have a child of mine right that's uh currently my boundary and i say it quite upfrontly but most people uh that i've dated have not really heard it the first time 
um, especially when it's uh, like from my experience when it's cross-cultural um, it's quite a strange boundary for a woman to have maybe um, and the response I've always got is like oh, that's, a bit, um, that's a bit strange maybe you'll change your mind um, and they will continue to have a relationship with me whilst projecting this image of me which includes the option of motherhood onto me and eventually obviously that relationship would end because eventually they'd reach the point where they would either see me and my boundaries for what I have initially said and the projection would be lost and then they would want to be in a relationship with someone else or they would ask me to change that boundary and I would say no I can't be in a relationship where that is the case so that means I cannot be in a relationship with you so I, I'm again I don't say this can I add something to what you just said? Because I think that's yeah. a really good way of thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I really, I think that's a really important point. And two things. One, boundaries do change. So, the, but, so like your example, like you might one day want children. Yes, but holding out for it. Exactly. Don't hold out for it. Like you're getting into a relationship with somebody on that day with the boundaries that they have. And if over the course of many years, boundaries shift and you've stayed together and those different things happen, then that's one thing. If that's arrived at naturally and you weren't expecting it, but don't go into a relationship. Like I hope I want to have this great relationship with this fundamental issue. And I hope that it changes one day because that's setting yourself up for failure. Well, let's talk about what that would look like. And can I just add my one other thought, which ties to that is another thing we talked about is, so that also ties to like the boundary of being non-monogamous or polyamorous. And I have, I have been in a relationship with somebody who, you know, that, that was a boundary for me. I was very upfront about this when I started dating them. And it turned out as things went on that even though they, they didn't identify it as a boundary for them to be monogamous, in fact, it, it became, it, it was, right? And I think that's a big one that people will run into is that people are like, yeah, I'm okay with that. Right. And some of that's a learning curve and you have to feel it out and that's right. tricky. But also there is some of that where like some people just really know that they don't, you know, that they, one or the other, either they only want to be monogamous or or very much want to be non-monogamous. And if you know that about yourself, don't, you're not helping anybody by entering a relationship that goes against that. Well, yeah, but I do, okay, I want to speak more on that because the experiences that I've heard from the people and that I've had myself often get to point where you are essentially um, in this boundary conflict, I guess, between the two people that have already formed a relationship. So you guys have gone into this. Projection may well have happened, but putting that aside for now. I want to talk a little bit about the language used for when people are testing their boundaries. When you, when you, because it will happen, we're not perfect. You'll project, you'll dump, right? Putting those aside, eventually you might get to a position where your boundaries are being tested by your partner and you're feeling probably a lot of things like feeling attacked and things like that. Again, <laughs> we're leaving the book behind. Doss Easton doesn't really talk about this. Joan Hardy hasn't put anything in this. There are lots of resources out there for that. What I will say is with the language of boundaries, it's about you and the things that are in your control. So let's use your example, monogamy versus non-monogamy. If you're getting to the point in the relationship, you say, well, you now need to be monogamous with me or I'm done. Sounds like an ultimatum, right? You're disempowering yourself. Instead, try saying to yourself, I need to be with someone who's in a monogamous relationship with me. If that rings true, you cannot be in a relationship with this person. 
that's the only end point and vice versa right so like let's say you're saying i i have entered this i've said like my boundary is about i won't be in a monogamous relationship later down the line that turns out to actually be a deal breaker for the other person now you're having that discussion about whether or not you're going to break the deal have that discussion from the point of that you're bound of your boundary it's not like oh you're lying to me and you're going off and doing this like you're doing all these things you're doing all these things if you don't do that i'm going to leave you that's not necessarily the most helpful beginning point for that try instead of being like if you do this i'm going to do this it's a consequence-based action, and it's, a, it's within your control. I'll also say that if people are treating you like that, as if you have no boundaries or as if your boundaries are not important, it's probably a reflection of the way that they feel about themselves and they need to go away and they need to do work on their boundaries. I think there is an important difference to, one, if somebody's really pushing your boundaries and you're clearly stated boundaries and they keep trying to push them, that should be a warning flag and that should be concerning. And there's a big difference between trying to explore, you know, my boundaries changing or wanting to to see where they are and maybe finding out new boundaries as a relationship progresses versus somebody who's just ignoring your boundaries and your agency, which is what bound, part of what boundaries are. Um, okay. I feel like we have done a relatively good job of uh, re-piecing this together. Yeah. But I will flag a, another podcast, which is called, which is the Multi-Amory podcast on episode 78, um, goes over the basics of boundaries um, and I'll be linking that in the show notes um, they do have a little snapshot at the end of this which unlike the rest of the chapter I quite liked yeah so this uh, this last little vignette um, is about asexuality um, and they give a, a quick overview we've talked about asexuality they, they comes up a lot in, in sort of the examples that they use which I think is really good um, about an asexual is someone who does not experience sexual attraction. And there's a similar term or a similar identity, uh, aromantic, who may or may not be asexual, but doesn't necessarily relate to people romantically. And I think what they're talking about here um, is, you know, how boundaries impact that and boundaries outside of the sexual context, which is where I think we talk about a lot of these things, ends up being boundaries around sexual acts and sexual intimacy. Um, and here we're talking about um, how asexuals and aromantics can find ethical slughood a very good fit because it allows them to connect with people in different ways that work with them and, and to find those connections that are important to them in different ways, even with people who may not be asexual or aromantic um, and still have meaningful relationships. And I just think it's a really cool way to think about it. I, I actually highlighted that and I thought it was a little bit bold of, of um, maybe just because coming off the back of this chapter I was pretty riled off about the authors but I thought it was pretty bold of the authors to, to assume that asexuals would find like I felt like it was speaking for them a little bit yeah that's that fair bit. it's a little because bit they're not neither, neither of these authors are asexual mm. um, it seems very much the opposite actually from what they've written <laughs> yes they've, they've probably tried quite a number of different labels but I don't know that asexual's ever been one that I've come across yeah. attached to these authors um so I just wanted to add some extra resources for those that are interested in the intersection between asexuality and polyamory. Um, there has been, a, a, there is now an increasing amount being written about it, but I would like to um, highlight chapter 15 from Understanding Non-Monogamies, which is a 
book edited by Barker and Landridge and within it is a essay on what does asexuality have to do with polyamory by Christine Scherer. I hope you I hope I said that correctly. Let's see. Kristen Scherer. Yeah, so pretty close. I didn't say that correctly at all. I'm so sorry to all these authors whose names are massacring. Um, give me 10 hours and I'll be able to say that one. There we go. Um, so she writes a lot about um, the popular understanding of polyamories, which largely focus on sexual intimacy and how an asexual discussion about the philosophies behind non-monogamies can uh, add quite a lot to to that conversation. Um and I do think that, uh, that that is quite a good one to start with. There's also um, a book I'd like to point out by uh, Julie Decker, who's, uh, who edited and I believe wrote most of The Invisible Orientation and Introduction to Asexuality, in which she, um, she, she speaks a lot about not only her own personal journey uh, within that, but also... Uh, about the, the kind of the future of the asexual movement, which is very interesting. Um, and finally, uh, the 2014 Asexualities, Feminist and Queer Perspectives. It doesn't specifically talk about polyamory. Um, it's edited by oh, Milks and, how am I gonna say that? Serankowski. Yeah, that's how I would say it. Nailed it. Like how um, you started with Milks first, because it was easier. It's so easy. <laughs> um, so they, uh, they, give a great anthology of different essays around um, around asexuality. Not so much about the way that it intersects with polyamory, but there is at least one chapter in there, I forget which one it is, uh, but there is one chapter in there that uh, specifically talks about the politics of asexuality and what that kind of interrelates with the sexual liberation movement. And I will link the full text for that book because it's incredibly expensive and I believe I'm not breaking any copyright doing that, so. Unless I am, in which case I won't put that in. Right. So that's that's it. We made, we made it through. We made it through. We we had to take some liberties and went on some tangents. Oh, man. That was a very tangential uh, episode. We have we left the bit behind a lot more than we have done previously. Um, but uh, I'm glad that we did because boundaries are just really important. And they're a really fundamental aspect. To for, living. To living in any relationship. That's what I was going to say. To, to any being relationship. being alive and being healthy. To being a good... Like being I mean, your best self. Being your safest self. Yeah, yeah. And being your, your honest self. Like being being yourself and oh not God. anybody living, else's self. Living, living your, your truth. truth. Where did we cut that from? I have no idea. But <laughs> I like that we both did it. Um, I like we both did the same hand. You can find Polly Pages on Instagram at Polly Pages. And if you have any questions or comments for us, please feel free to send them to polypages at gmail.com. Our awesome intro and outro music is by Mint Green, and you can follow them on Instagram and Linktree at Mint Green Music. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Books. <laughs>